everyone. Thank you guys for joining us at the first panel of the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Jackson Spilka. I am a first year student at the MIT Sloan School of Management. And it is my honor to introduce our panel today, Revamping America's Pastime, the Effective Rule Changes in Baseball. Joining us today are our panelists, Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations at Major League Baseball, Morgan Sword. We have prolific baseball writer and statistician, Bill James. And we have the Senior Vice President of On-Field Operations at Major League Baseball, Raul Abanez. And they will be moderated by our Sports Center anchor, Kevin Nagandi. The panel will run for 45 minutes and there will be 10 minutes for questions and answers. If you would like to submit a question, we will be using Twitter, using the hashtag baseball rules, and our moderator will pick the questions from there. With that being said, I'll turn it over to you, Kevin. Jackson, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, and uh, it's great that we could start uh, the conference with the topic that is a hot button issue, no doubt, this week. Uh, but really, there's an elephant in the room, and uh, we need Raul to address when his GQ shoot is scheduled later on today. Because my goodness, that, that pick that you had up there, you were sharp. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Um, that was uh, really at the forefront of my mind when I walked in and looked at it. I was like, we have to address that picture. That was a long time ago. Sorry about that. A little much. So spring training's underway. It's great to see palm trees, especially if you live in the Northeast, uh, and a lot of sun in Florida and Arizona. And the big topics, of course, is baseball. And when you look at your watch, and how am I watching a game that's inside three hours while scoring is up? So uh, let's, let's address that first with Morgan. From the 10,000-foot point of view, what were the changes specifically, the three changes made this offseason that we are seeing now at the major league level? Sure. So we implemented uh, a pitch timer, which um, times the periods of time between pitches, between hitters, and between innings. Uh, we are restricting defensive shifting and where the infielders can play. And then we made the bases a little bit bigger. What's been the response, Raul, from when you talk about players specifically and the feedback you've gotten in just over a week? So um, well, we've gotten a lot from a lot of players is that they're excited to play defense to be able to you know, create on the field. Um, and pretty much for the most part, it's been, you know, we'll adapt, we'll figure it out. Uh, things are happening faster than we're accustomed to, but guys are figuring it out pretty quickly. Now at the end of the game, nobody wants to play a four hour game that can be played in two hours and 55 minutes or two hours and 45 minutes. Nobody wants to play a four hour game. So from that perspective, they're, they're really excited. And the uh, people in the dugout, coaches and managers have been uh, very, very supportive. We'll get into game specifics and the feedback that you've gotten specifically that we've seen impacting the outcome of a game that we saw on Saturday between the Braves and the Red Sox. But Bill, from uh, your perspective and what you've kind of watched in the last week, uh, nearly 100 games to pick from, your thoughts on the new rules? I'm, I'm very optimistic. It's, it's past time. Um, mostly, uh, I, I think on the way over here, a gentleman said uh, we're moving too fast. Well, yes, we're rushing stuff to get stuff done that should have been done 30 years ago. Uh, I know a lot of people don't know that there was a rule in the book, in the books when I first became a baseball fan, that 
restricted the amount of time between pitches. You were supposed, pitcher was supposed to deliver the ball within 25 seconds. No one ever enforced the rule, so I guess it eventually went away. But there always, there always should have been some sort of, some sort of manner to keep the game moving along, and I'm, it's great that they finally have it. Morgan, the feedback, the data. Uh, we talked earlier today, and you get it every single morning. You get the feedback of the games and the pace. What can you tell us and share with the audience? Uh, yes, we've played 95 games so far spring training. Uh, the games are down about 24 minutes uh, relative to spring training last year. Uh, run scoring's up a little bit. Batting average is up. Stolen base activity is up. Uh, and... Um, we're starting to see the number of violations tail off a little bit. Um, players, players, coaches, umpires get adjusted. So we're early. You know, we got a lot of spring left to go, but um, uh, right now every number is good. Of the three rules, Bill, which one do you think could have the biggest impact? Well, the obvious impact is the pitch timer. Uh, but Morgan didn't mention the, the, the uh, rule limiting the number of breaks in the action, basically limiting how many. Basically, they, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, basically they prohibited the uh, pitcher from standing on the mound and throwing to first base as often as he wants to. The, uh, and I, I think that actually is going to have more impact on the base dealing than the larger bases will. Uh, the, uh, so, I, again, I, I'd like to see more, more trying to move around the bases and less trying to see how far you can hit the ball and strike out. <laughs> the, uh, and uh, I'm optimistic. I hope it works. The bases have ex expanded from 15 to 18 inches, right? And, and Raul, as a former player, the idea of what Bill just brought up, where you know a pitcher can only throw twice to first, and you're sitting there and you're thinking about stealing, how does that change your approach specifically now in this day and age where we don't often see steals? We, this is not the Ricky Henderson, the Vince Coleman era anymore. Yeah, I think, um, well, personally, I, I Maybe I would have stolen six bases instead of five. It wasn't a big part of my game. I don't remember you stealing five. <laughs> You're probably right. You're right. Um, but, but it, yeah, I think if for the guys that that is part of the, their game, being three inches closer, actually four and a half inches closer between first and second base in a world of replay, I think it makes a significant difference. And, and um, catchers are being taught uh, to catch the, or to throw the ball up the line so they could use instant replay, tag the body. So those three inches I, I, or four and a half inches are, are, would be a big deal to guys who are base stealing. Bill, one of the things I noticed, you, you brought up the idea of the pitcher going back to first. Uh, how do you view the shift? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that changing now with the, the idea of just four infielders inside? Well, I'm trying so hard to be positive. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but I don't see the point in it, and I don't think it'll have much of any impact, honestly. Uh, the, but you know, you, if you want to regulate it and make the game look more normal, it's okay, I guess. But I don't, I don't think there's any real impact to that, uh, any you know, significant impact, and I, I don't see the need for the rule. Morgan, your response on the idea of why you guys have this rule? Yeah, so all three of these rules came out of a pretty intensive piece of fan research that we did where rather than ask them, about their views on specific rule changes, which are hard to come up with on the fly. We asked them about what they want to see more of in baseball games and what they want to see less of in baseball games. And the answers wouldn't surprise anybody. When, you know, the plays that we need to deliver more of are stolen base attempts, doubles, triples, great defensive plays. Right? Those are the things that engage fans, keep you watching, keep you, keep you involved. 
And what do you want to see less of? You want to see less of mound visits, pickoff attempts, pitching changes, walks. Uh, so, uh, you know, we set out to test sort of dozens of these rules across the minor leagues the last two years. And um, many of them ended up on the cutting room floor, either didn't work or weren't practical or, um, you know, had, had some implementation issues. But these three, um, individually and collectively, um, we felt really improved, uh, you know, the outcomes, but really the aesthetics of the game. And I, I think that there is, as silly as it sounds, there is something to having infielders play where they've played um, for 150 years and move them back to where, where they used to be. Um, and, you know, for some fans that makes no difference. I think, you know, take my dad as a random example. Um, it would make my dad legitimately angry to see a line drive to right field that was a ground out all of a sudden in baseball. And angry to the point where he would stop watching the game. And, we, and better, for better or for worse, we got a lot of fans that are, that are in that bucket. But, you know, I think what we've heard from infielders in the first couple of weeks here is, um, putting them at their traditional positions, they feel, allows them to range, to, to make great defensive plays, and kind of forcing them out of their optimal positions puts the game back in the player's hands and allows them to, um, you know, to dictate outcomes rather than who has the best algorithm for who is positioning their infield the best. So, but I, I think anybody that says they're confident about what the effect of this shift restriction rule is gonna be, I don't feel like it's probably being honest with you because we don't know. You yeah. know, I think like a lot of it depends upon batter behavior and how hitters adjust. Raul and I were talking on the way back from the Bruins game last night about, you know, what, what do we think hitters are going to do? And um, you should probably actually share what, kind of what you what you think on that. Sure. I, I, my take on the shift is um, that it doesn't mean you're a pole hitter. It just means that when you hit the ball on the ground, you become a pole hitter. And I think if you go back historically and look at some of the hitters that spray the ball around or that we perceive that sprayed the ball around the most in history, they probably got more hits to the pull side and up the middle than they did carving a ball down the third baseline. Mm. Um, so it, it, what it really does is it, it does impact the hitter behavior because there's only so many times, as Morgan said, you're going to line out 200 foot ground outs and eventually you just start thinking, well, I'm going to try to hit it over the shift because it's very difficult to adapt, especially in today's day and age where they have the data. If they have five years of data on you, it becomes a problem yeah. because if the pitcher executes his pitch um, and they have the data, really bright people, I mean, you have 20, 30 analysts that are working on the scouting report or advanced scouting reports attacking you specifically to your weakness, it's, it's really hard to carve a ground ball to short on a 93 mile per hour cut fastball or a 100 mile per hour 2400 RPM spin fastball at the top of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. So um, I do think it's gonna have a, a positive impact on the game and on player behavior. Um, I was telling Morgan yesterday, at the end of my career, I was playing with you know, the great Albert Pujols and I probably watched him in a three month span hit 15 balls up the middle where there was a guy just standing there and you look up and he was hitting 240 with a, you know, still like a 780, 800 OPS. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it really impacts not only the way that guys hit, but how they approach hitting. Let's expand on that <clears throat> mentally, especially the grind of six, seven months, 162 games. What does that do to a hitter when you're coming up and you already see where everybody's at? And you're Albert Pujols, you see somebody already playing up in the hole and you're like, what am I going to do? What does that do? It, it can be, I mean, when you're struggling, it feels like there's 11 guys on the field or 12 guys on the field. Um, the shift does have a little bit of that feel, the mindset part of it, where you get in the batter's box, you look and you're like, they're all stacked over here. 
and the right thing to do is I'm going to try to hit the ball over there. Um, but, you know, for a left-handed hitter, let's say, the shortstop, if we go back in time, he's there because he, feels, he handles the baseball the most out of everybody on the field. So you shift this side of the field and you leave the shortstop there. And the amount of times that guys would go up to bat, guilty, me included, and you hit a line drive, you're, I'm going to hit the ball the other way, and you hit a line drive with the one guy standing over there, it's, it, can be it can be demoralizing. It sound, I, I chuckle about it, but for a player, it's, it's not a lot of fun. Bill, you want to weigh in on this from the analytic perspective here when you look at the shift? Yeah, we all mentioned the ball hit up the middle. The biggest effect is, uh, is if you can open up the middle a little bit because that actually is where the most hits went before people started using shifts. More hits went right up the middle than anywhere else. The uh, more went there than through the hole between first and second. The, uh, uh, and that, that will be a large effect. As to the psychological effect, you have to remember how old I am. And back in the prehistory, when we didn't really have any understanding of why one park's effects were different than another, it was a common thing for people to say that the reason everybody hit a lot of home runs in Atlanta was the psychological effect. You go to Atlanta, you're expecting to hit home runs, so you hit home runs. Totally absurd explanation. The, uh, uh, and I'm... I guess maybe because of that and similar experiences, I'm skeptical of the notion that the psychological impact on the hitters is going to be anything. The measurable effect is going to be an increase in batting average of four to six points. And I don't really buy the theory about you know, trying to loft the ball. Hitters have been trying to loft the ball for 100 years. But you know, we'll, it's, a, it's a tension of different ideas, and we'll, we'll work it out. And, and uh, I'm not like, I never hated the shift. You know, gave my people something to do. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. I don't care. How do you think front offices will approach this with these changes? And you mentioning batting averages going up, right? A little bit. Well, yeah, we'd like batting averages to go back to what well, the league batting averages last year were in the 240s, and yeah. you'd like them to be back up in the 270 range. Or, so that's this. This change is not going to get us there, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, Front offices will react as they always have by trying to figure out how to beat it. Uh, okay, we got these new rules. How do we do the same things we've always done, only, only uh, with the new rules? And you know, it's a, it, but that's encouraging. In, in a sense, the game is a war between the front offices who are trying to figure out a way to be, to make the game slow and boring, and the uh, Morgan and Rawl and other people who are trying to figure out a way to make it fast and exciting. So the, the uh, uh, good luck to you guys. <laughs> yeah, we have some very intelligent adversaries in that war. Uh, yeah, and it, some of you may have watched the Red Sox game yesterday. They actually took Jaron Duran, their left fielder, against Kyle Schwarber yesterday and moved him into that sort of rover position in short right field and had their other two outfielders playing in traditional sort of center and right. So giving up literally half of the field with, with nobody standing there, which is permitted under the rules. And you may see that against guys like Carl Schwarber or Joey Gallo, or, but um, I guess we, we feel okay about that because one, it's still sort of suboptimal, like you, um, and two, there's a big risk, right? And I think the first time that you get a bloop over third base that ends up as a tr triple or an inside the park home run, um, embarrassment, honestly, on its own may, may sort of curb that behavior a little bit, but it, clubs are experimenting with it. We may see it more, um, particularly against the pull lefties, and um, yeah, we're gonna learn with everybody else. Bill, you mentioned something that 
it's not a change that you think would drive batting averages up to 270. Is there a change right now you think in baseball that could drive the batting average up? Uh, not a single change. There are small changes that you could make that uh, if, you, if you made several of them and connected the dots, the, uh, they could return baseball to a more normal form. Uh, for example, if you just move the batters one inch, one inch for the batter's box back just one inch, uh, the, uh, it would make a difference because it would make trying to hit the ball 500 feet less productive and thus would encourage hitters to instead meet the ball. Uh, if you just increase the weight, the minimum weight of a bat, if you, I don't think there is a minimum weight of the bat, but if you just in, maybe there is there a minimum weight? I don't think so. Yeah. If you, if you just put a minimum weight on bats and increase that by a tiny bit, that would favor the guy who makes contact rather than the, uh, than the person who tries to hit the ball as far as possible. If you, you can't move the batter's box back 18 inches, or move the pitcher's mound back 18 inches, because pitchers have been working since they were five years old to learn how to make that curveball break at exactly the right moment so that it just hits the outside part of the plate, uh, the, uh, just as it crosses the plate. And, and if you just move the pitcher's mound back 18 inches, every ball is going to be in the dirt, every curveball is going to be in the dirt. You can't do it. But you could move the ball mound back by an inch, and then in another three years you could move it back by another inch, and that would counteract the effect of more and more pitchers throwing harder and harder. Uh, to it to an extent. That, at least it seems to me it would. I'd value the insight of someone who's actually played the game at a significantly well, higher yeah, level. Of I, I'm really curious to, to your point, Bill. Like, what would you, uh, what would be your reaction to some of these minor tweaks that Bill's suggestion? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I'd never really thought about that, but an inch does make a difference. Charlie Manuel, our manager in Philly, used to say a little means a lot when it comes to hitting, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, I think the other side of that coin also is, is um, you know, player behavior is influenced by compensation, right? <laughs> and so you, you, you know, it's OPS and slug um, and, uh, and, and WOBA and, and metrics like that that are highly valued in the game. And players really just follow what, what gets you, not just what gets you a college scholarship as a player is you have to be able to impact the baseball. Mm -hmm. What gets you signed professionally as a player is you have to be able to impact the baseball, and what gets you to the big leagues is you have to be able to impact the baseball. So um, I do think that along with what Bill's saying, um, it, you know, if you change what clubs valued, it will have an impact on player behavior. Player behavior, a lot of that is routine. Uh, you go to the ballpark at a certain time, you're aware of when you have BP, you're aware of when you're throwing. When you look at the routine being kind of thrown off a little bit with some of these rule tweaks, especially the timing, getting in the box within eight seconds, the pitcher making sure the ball's out, you know, how much of an effect will that play, not just in the spring, but let's just say the dog days of the summer, the player's routine? What, what, what's been the feedback? Um, so I, I think early on, Morgan said this earlier, you know, we're really thankful and grateful that we have spring training mm -hmm. to where players get a four-week you know, time period to be able to adapt to the rules. And what we did see in the minor leagues was after, you know, four to six weeks, we got to well below uh, one 
uh, violation per game. I think it was 0.5. Is that right, Mike Morgan? So we got to 0.5 violations. So you will adapt. Guys are adapting right now. Yeah. And it was really no different than, say, facing a Cliff Lee or a Mark Burley who worked really fast and you just knew something good or bad was going to happen very quickly. Yeah. So players are adapting right now. We're already seeing it in the data. And uh, they are really, uh, you know, at the major league level, these are the best athletes in the world and um, the most adaptable as well. Pitchers love it. At least that's been the feedback. You know, Patrick Corbin talked about it. It's a little bit faster. Max Scherzer was raving about it. Uh, from the hitter's perspective, do the hitters – are they comfortable with it right now? Because, again, pitchers, it's like, all right, you're on my time right now, not your time. Has that changed the course here, how batters approach the box? Yeah, I think that – so when you hear a guy like Max Scherzer, yeah. who's an elite ace, I would expect nothing less than that type of mindset and mentality from Max Scherzer where you throw Corbin Burns where they're, these guys are elite aces. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to look at it through that lens as if they have the advantage. And I think we've talked to some of the guys who are elite hitters, and some of those guys have said, well, I think I can use it to my advantage as well. So um, that becomes a, a whole new cat and mouse game that's going on, um, and I think it's really good for the game. Yeah, yesterday um, we showed a highlight of the 20-second strikeout. You guys see that? that it, it took 20 seconds yeah. from the start of the at-bat, three straight pitches, strikeout, because of the pace and the timing of this. Timing's fantastic here. Uh, but, Bill, I want to get your thoughts on the idea. When you're a pitcher, you do not have the 30 to 40 seconds that we saw in between. Do you anticipate the velocity coming down consistently, maybe a tick down, because you don't have that time to rev up again in between pitches? Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but, no, I, in, in, intuitively I wouldn't anticipate any, uh, any change in – Average velocity speeds, or pitch velocities. The pressure really is more from the batter's standpoint than it is from the pitcher's standpoint. Uh, I don't know that many pitchers really want to stand out there and take a minute between pitches. They, you know, they mostly, I think, want to, you know, let's get the get the show on the road here. But also, I'd point out that it's contrary to the nature of sports to give the athlete time to do what he wants to do. And you know, batters may say, "Well, I'm not." I need to get comfortable in the box. Well, you know, you're playing basketball. You don't get to get comfortable before, on the other team's running a fast break. You know, you get, get the hell down there and defend the fast break. Or in football, you know, the uh, Pat, Patrick Mahomes changes the play three times in the middle of the play. You don't get a call timeout and adjust. Oh, wait a minute, he's going that way. I need to call timeout and, and get myself comfortable here. It's, it's not the nature. I think young athletes enjoy it, and it becomes less enjoyable probably you know, better paid, but less enjoyable the more you play. I'm just guessing. The, uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's the nature of the sport that everybody's supposed to get comfortable before they do everything. That's, it's a direct opposite of the nature of sports. You're, you're trying to do something that by its nature is supposed to be hard. One of the things that we see specifically to Bill's point in the NBA, you have a shot clock. In the NFL, you have a play <coughs> clock, right? It's winding down. Specifically in the, the, the NFL, sometimes that thing is down to zero and the ball is like snapped right at the moment. And you're like, whoa, whoa, they didn't snap it on time. <laughs> we may encounter that. We saw that specifically last Saturday in that Braves-Red Sox game. Bases loaded, full count, ninth inning. <clears throat> and, and the prospect, Cal Conley, punched out. Game ends. 
Morgan in a tie. Yeah, in a tie. Yeah. And, and Cal is laughing his butt off because it's spring training. But the consequences get serious when it actually matters. How have you guys anticipated this concept where suddenly the play clock is playing a role in the outcome of a game where you're going to get a called strike or a called ball and not actually see the action? Yeah. Well, I think in an ideal world, right, you would get all of the benefits that come along with this timer, with the shorter games and the better pace and the you know, crisper, more active um, sport without ever having it impact the competition, right? And unfortunately, that's just literally impossible. There's no way to do that. And we've tried much more subtle ways to get at this issue by forcing people to stay in the batter's box. We've even sent letters to players just saying, please play faster. That didn't really work very well. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's amazing, right? You introduce like a competitive penalty to taking your time and almost overnight, the game is transformed, right? And I think that uh, the best we're gonna hope for is one that we use spring training to get everybody adjusted and to minimize the number of violations that occur, um, particularly in big spots, which in the minor leagues, that's what happened. We were at, the, you know, for a given team, you'd go about four games between violations at the minor league level last year. So that's kind of the rate that we're hoping to get to at the big leagues. Um, and, and second, you know, I think we had a long discussion with our umpiring staff about how we wanted to enforce this rule because, you know, we had a lot of incoming saying, you know what, umpires need to have some feel, right? Veteran, veteran pitcher, maybe back off. Ninth inning, maybe back off. You know, bases loaded, maybe back off. And, you know, we've decided to go completely in the other direction, which is, this is a rule, like any other rule now. And this is the way baseball is now going forward. And we should call it precisely, we should call it consistently we should call it against all players in all situations and and the result of that is going to be every once in a while you get you know we're going to have probably a timer violation impact a major league game this year you know maybe decide one maybe be the last play one and I think that from our perspective when you look at all of the pros that come along with these rule changes and that as sort of the loan in my view kind of potential con it's it's a trade I'd make every day but um you know, we, we haven't yet thought of a way to completely eliminate that risk. How much pressure is on the umpires right now? A lot, yeah. Um, the umpires are uh, doing a great job. Uh, they are, you know, I was down in Arizona last weekend, and, you know, in spring training, the way we do it is each crew is a mix of major league umpires and minor league umpires. And the minor league guys have lived with this world for some of them two years now, and they're total pros at running the timer. They know all the rules. It's, it's, it's second nature for them. The major league guys, this is all new. They, they, they haven't really seen it. Um, and there's a lot of detail that um, goes into kind of when the timer begins and when you wave it off. And, and uh, it takes a while to learn. But, um, you know, we've been very pleased with the umpires. They're enthusiastic about it. I think, um, if I'm speaking for them, you know, they, they believe this is really good for baseball and they view part of their job as running the game and keeping the pace moving and um, they finally have actually a, a stick available to them, um, you know, when it doesn't happen. So, uh, but it's a, it, you know, it's a change for those guys and, um, and they're leaning into it so far. Uh I, if you follow me on Twitter, if you see me on TV, I do not hide my my love and passion from where I'm from, which is Philadelphia. And there was a, a running joke on social media this past week that we would not have seen the Bryce Harper 
home run in the NLCS because he took too much time. We wouldn't have seen the World Series game three home run because he took way too much time in the box. Have you thought about that? Now, everything can sound great right now, but like in the postseason where that could be taken away, that magic, that build up to an at-bat mm -hmm. where the crowd is losing its mind, you got the focus on the TV conversation, the music is blasting, and you could lose a moment like that that is celebrated throughout baseball that this is the magic of the postseason? I think you're going to see that same moment, and it's just going to move a little more quickly. Okay. Okay, I hope. <laughs> What's the fairest criticism you've received so far from a player about these new rules? Um, you know, not really real criticism. It's just I, we have to adapt. You know, we're adapting. We're learning. I'll get used to it. I'll get accustomed to it. And uh, to Morgan's point, once you put the rules out there, you present them to the players matter-of-factly, guys, guys will adapt. They, you know, like I said before, these are the best players in the world, um, and they adapt very, very quickly. If not, you don't get to play at that level, and you don't get to play, certainly don't get to play there for a long period of time. So uh, these guys are really adaptable, and, um, you know, they're enthusiastic. A lot of the feedback that we're getting, especially uh, getting off the field sooner, when you start thinking about the cumulative effect of fatigue yeah. throughout the course of a season, a guy who plays 142 games, getting off the field 20, 30 minutes times 142 games, it becomes a really significant um, and substantial uh, time off your feet. Um, and in a world of load, workload management, yeah. it, it makes a real impact. It's, it's a really long and grueling season. And, uh, and that's one of the effects that uh, we're hearing from players is their excitement about that. That's really interesting. Bill, your thoughts on that? The, uh, one way to think about it is the tension between selfish and community-oriented behavior. From the community standpoint, I suspect every player is in favor of playing the games at a quicker pace. The problem is selfish behavior, and I don't, I don't mean that in a terribly negative sense, but each player wants to take as much time as he can to get himself as ready as he can to do what he has to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is selfish behavior. It's I, I'm doing what is good for me, and the fact that it slows the game down a little bit, it, you know, but everybody slowing the game down a little bit slows the game down a lot, and and you have to legislate. It's the nation's one of the aspects of the nation's political problem is the, is that we cannot agree on how to get everybody to focus on community-oriented behavior rather than selfish-oriented behavior, which has cumulative effects that no one is thinking about as they do their own selfish little thing. Uh, my colleague, Hall of Famer Tim Kirchin, brought this up that he thinks changes had to be made, but too many all at once. Your thoughts is too many changes, Bill, right now all at once? Can that be overwhelming? Yeah, it's too many all at once because we should have started doing this stuff 40 years ago, and, <laughs> and instead we waited 40 years till somebody addressed the issue. So yeah, it's too many all at once, and let's get on with it. <laughs> what other changes need to be made, Bill? You, you've got the ears of Morgan and Raul. What, from, from that perspective, you know, they try this this year, it, it works, you move forward. What other changes would you like to see in the game? The, uh, um, I, we talked about this earlier, but I would like to see a systematic effort to drive batting averages up and power-oriented and strikeouts down. I, I do think the, this is literally true, I grew up in the Sandy Koufax era, right? The average hitter now strikes out more often than Sandy Koufax struck people out. The, uh, and I don't know that that's optimal for the game. I think if we, could, if we could get more balls in play, more 
outstanding fielding by by this the second baseman the shortstop I think that would be good for the game and I think there are a lot of different ways to you know you move the fences back a little bit you can make them a little bit higher uh, I know this is too radical and it's probably never going to happen but you know a ball hit right down the line 330 feet doesn't have to be a home run it can be a double the um, and there, there have been parks in the past where a ball hit right down the line and into the seats wasn't a home run. It's not, it's not, not wrong. The, uh, so I think there are a million things you could do to nudge the game in that direction. Uh, Morgan, we, when we originally talked, you had mentioned like three potential scenarios of rule changes. And one, this group passed the test. What did not pass the test that you guys are still considering maybe down the road? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, out of that fan research came two sort of obvious but important objectives for us. One is to improve the pace and reduce the length of our games. And, you know, we're pretty confident that the timer is a sort of turnkey solution to that issue and that what you're all going to see on the field this year is going to be materially better and more entertaining on that dimension. Um, the second is to increase the amount of action in the game, as Bill was referring to. And, you know, driving the strikeout rate down is really important. Um, uh, increasing batting average is really important. And um, there is no analogous sort of turnkey solution on the strikeout issue, at least we feel. And it's likely going to come as the cumulative effect of a lot of more subtle type changes. Um, and uh, we got a lot of them out there. Um, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about p a potential implementation of an automated strike zone um, uh, in the big leagues. Um, one that I personally like that no one else seems to is uh, applying the drop third strike rule to all pitches, where if it gets away from the catcher, you can just bolt for first base and see if you can get there. Um, nobody likes that except for me. I think <laughs> it's good. Um, uh, you know, we've, like, we've, we've talked about, yeah, changes to the equipment, changes to the playing surface, changes to outfield dimensions, change, and um, fortunately, most of these things are realistic you know like like um and we have an amazing tool available in the minor leagues to be able to create kind of an experimental environment where we literally do a b testing in the minor leagues and we run half the season under one set of rules and the other half under the other or you know league by league or uh, um and you can get great information and part of the reason i think this this timer is working the way it is is we knew with like historic precision kind of what was going to happen this spring um, in, in a way that we never would have, uh, you know, in the olden days. So um, we have, um, I think this is phase one of what there probably is more coming, but um, with every single one of these things, I think we always try to grade it on this scale of, um, is this a reasonable change that baseball fans are going to support or are we veering towards something that's not baseball anymore and, and something that is going to offend the sensibilities of the people in the game, the people that, that love the game? Um, and it, and it's, that's a very subjective scale, but um, there's lots of things that would work that would just irritate people too much to make it worth it. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, but, but, but it's an exciting effort. I, I've been just very pleased that the whole baseball community you know, our field managers have been like with us 100% on all of this, our players, our umpires. I mean, all of the people you would expect to be very negative about this, I think all realize that we're in a very important time for this sport right now and that um, more drastic uh, action is gonna be 
you know, a big benefit. When you describe some of the ideas, uh, I stuck with uh, a hot button topic, and that is automated strike zones. How close are we to that concept? We are getting there. We are uh, gonna be using an automated strike zone across AAA this season. Uh, there are two big questions that are outstanding for us. The first is the, the format or the way that we deploy the technology, right? So we have a tracking system that works great. We're able to produce calls to the umpire um, consistently, reliably. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our first effort at it was um, to just use the system to call every pitch and, you know, put an earpiece in the umpire, tell him ball or strike, and then um, he or she would make the call. And interestingly, we got a really loud negative reaction from players and coaches about that system. Uh, so last season we tested what's called a challenge format where the system's kind of running in the background, the human umpire's calling the game, and then a couple times per game, the players can actually challenge pitches. And uh, that was much, much more popular among the on-field group, and I think achieved a lot of the, um, the benefits that an automated zone would have. So uh, we're gonna be um, kind of testing both formats in the minor leagues this year. And then the second issue that is unresolved and is proving very tricky is geometry of the, of the zone. So, and there's a lot of things you need to answer, like is it two-dimensional or three-dimensional? Is it a rectangle or an oval? Is it, um, uh, how far back on the plate is it set if it's two-dimensional? And all those decisions drive outcomes, right? So um, right now, one problem that we're focused on is we've been using this rectangular zone, which is obviously different than what the umpires call, and it's bumping the strikeout rate up. And the reason for that is that right now, major league umpires don't call pitches in the corners, mm. strikes. Mm. Um, uh, or they call it less than 50% less than of the time. So. Uh, you know, your choices there are try to, you know, further sort of shrink the zone or go with a weird looking shape, which doesn't really make sense. So anyway, so we're, we're um, putting a lot of time and energy into a full scale test this year. Hopefully we come out of that with something that we think is viable at the big leagues, but um, sitting here today, we're not ready and don't think we're ready for showtime there. Bill, your thoughts on, on all of that? My number one thought is I'm very encouraged to meet Morgan and, and realize that this is in the hands of really, I, I'm sorry to be blowing sunshine up your skirt, but this is great. <laughs> it, it, really, it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm so encouraged to meet you and listen to you talk about this stuff. We're in, we're in good hands. Thanks. Morgan, perfect time to ask for a raise now by your <laughs> Perfect time. <laughs> After that endorsement. Just put that on the resume, the quote specifically, yeah, thank Bill. You, Bill. But Bill, the, the concept of the idea of automatic zones here, specifically the corners, your thoughts on, on the input and the back and forth that the Major League Baseball is trying to figure out, and the potential that called strikes on the outside corners raising strikeout rates. The, uh, well, no one's in favor of raising strikeout rates, but, but um, uh, have you considered the idea of an optional strike call area? Or the, uh, you know, that I wouldn't object if you made the, added a couple of sides to the strike zone so that that outs, outside high corner mm -hmm. isn't strike three. Uh, but uh, uh, I know a lot of people would. Uh, is, that, is that viable that, that there, 
to have a, an area of the umpire of the strike zone where the umpire has where the you freedom. can't challenge basically right where you can't challenge where the umpire can say what he wants. We've t we've talked about that. that. That's an interesting hybrid of, of uh, uh, that maybe gets at that issue a little bit. Yeah, Raul, as a hitter, the idea uh, of a robot umpire behind you calling a called strike. Like, how would you approach everything as a hitter? Um, well, going out and seeing it happen in person. I, I think one of the really surprising things for me personally was how much I enjoyed the challenge system mm. and how much getting the feedback from the players and the on-field personnel in the minor leagues, how much they enjoyed the challenge system because you do have the ability to challenge it. You get three challenges on each side. And uh, if you're right, you get to keep it. And if you're wrong, you lose it. So there is a, a, there's a little bit of a team aspect, actually a lot of a team aspect to it where if I you know, use two challenges in a game and I'm wrong both times, I've taken two away from my team and we may need that one in the eighth and ninth inning. So we got really positive feedback on that one. Um, you know, with the challenge system, I think that it, it would be a lot of fun you know, as a hitter to be yeah. able to challenge those calls. And it, you would also expose how difficult the job the umpires actually have. The amount of times that when you're on the field and in the batter's box and you're arguing a call, and you go back and look at it on the video and you're like, you know what, you were right. Mm -hmm. I, I was actually wrong. I, I think that there was a, a humbling aspect there to it. And, um, uh, you know, this collaborative spirit where you're doing it as a team, you're doing it as a group, and at the same time, you might be wrong in the batter's box or on the pitcher's mound. We saw it happen quite a bit in the minor leagues. I, I watched the pitcher once. Uh, they had two challenges left and he used them both in one at bat and he went for a third one the next time and they were like, you, you ran, ran out of out. challenges. Yeah, so I think that, that, that was an encouraging, um, an encouraging and an exciting uh, surprise for me to observe. Yeah, and when you watch tennis, we've seen it all. Like it's an immediate reaction, right? Let's keep the game going. Was it the ball in or out? Was it on the line? Any concern if you guys were to do something like this with challenges and limiting the number because of the timing aspect of the game, as Raul brought up, you get two challenges specifically. Yeah, it's very quick. For those of you that have seen it or hopefully go to AAA game this year, you will see it. And the way we've been doing it is actually put, up, put it up on the video board. So um, nobody knows until it goes on the video board and mm -hmm. you see the animation of the pitch, kind of like tennis used to do, of, you know, and the crowd cheers. And <laughs> it, it is, it's fun. It's, it, um, and uh, I think the... It, it's generated a lot of interesting discussion in our office because, um, you know, we have the ability to get every call 100% right, and this technology is unbelievably good. But it's been so interesting to hear people react negatively to doing that, right? And, and that, you know, baseball is kind of having this reckoning right now of, you know, it's another intrusion of technology into a game that is being weighed down by technology. Mm. And, um, and that we need to find the, a way to deploy it so that it improves the game and it makes it more entertaining and more charming and, and creates emotional connections for people and not get to ground truth. Because I think we're, we're sort of discovering that that's not the goal and, yeah. and, and that's not what people want and that's not what fans want, it's not what the players want. And, uh, and, that it, and, and that's why this is proving difficult because it's, it, you know, we sort of like, the tech guys have got there. I mean, they, they, they're amazing, and they've, they've figured it out. And, and, and the, the question now is more about, how, you know, how do you, 
how do you harness this amazing technology to improve the game and 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 and, and make it better and uh, and you know we again we're we're not <laughs> we're not there yet. You want to keep the soul and the nuance of the game still a part of the game. Bill, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I had two questions for you, Morgan. One is. Uh, is the robot umpire going to have a list of magic words that if you say one of these words? <laughs> the, and the other one, uh, the other question is, uh, suppose that you, I forget the name of that, it's fortunate that at the moment I forget the name of that umpire that everybody's always on his case and insists he's the worst umpire. I won't remind you. Yeah. <laughs> Not in public, you can tell me later. The, uh, but uh, uh, is there going to be a consequence for umpires who, uh, who let's say one umpire is overturned on challenge 80% of the time and the next guys 15% of the time. Is there going to be a consequence to that you anticipate? I mean, we'll have to work all that out with our umpires. Uh, you know, they're unionized and we're going to have to talk to them about, um, you know, uh, ABS. And if we get to the point where we want to do it in the big leagues, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure those issues out with them. It, it is funny that part, one of the things that I think was frustrating for the players and coaches about using what we call full ABS recall for every pitch is that there's no target for all of that aggression and adrenaline that, so we actually had a player in the Arizona Fall League turn around and start screaming at this camera that, that, was, that was like <laughs> behind, behind home plate. And I get it, you know, because, because you know, you, again, you, you keep sort of removing these, these, these places for humanity to show itself on the baseball field. You know, it's, it's, gotta, it's gotta go somewhere. And, and uh, but uh, anyway, so. It's a fantastic topic. We will see how that develops. And uh, if we see some changes, you could say you heard it here first in 2023 at the Sloan Conference. Uh, now, over on Twitter, we've got a hashtag baseball rules where our listeners have questions for the panel here. So we're going to go to some of these questions here. Um, Morgan, you alluded to this being, quote, a rule, but personally, do you guys believe a 3-2 game in the eighth or ninth inning should have more time allotted than an eight-run game in the fourth inning? No. And, and here's why. I, the, um, there's a couple of reasons. One, if we got into a world where we turn the timer off or we give more time in certain innings or certain game situations, um, for one, it's going to affect players unequally, right? And it doesn't feel fair to have the closer play under a different set of rules than the rest of the guys in the bullpen. Um, and secondly, if you think about what, you know, what is an important situation, it is impossible to define, right? And, and it, it, there is no way to draw a clean line between the game situations where more time is needed and the game situations where you can play under the regular, regular rules. So, um, you know, that said, we are playing with an extra second in the big leagues relative to the minor leagues. So, um, but I, I think that this is something where we're all gonna go through an adjustment period in the way that we watch this game. And um, you're gonna watch a lot of big moments happen under the, you know, existing time constraints and it's going to be different but we're confident that you're going to love it and and that it's it's going to be just a new way to watch this game that uh that people are going to be happy about bill i want to ask you specifically 17 years with the red sox the background that you have do you think front offices will change their approach in the offseason after seeing these rules changed on targeting specific players first of all the stage one the umpire the Front offices will make a guess, a list of guesses as to what's going to happen and, uh, and make adjustments based on that. Stage two, after the season, they'll realize they were wrong on, on at least 95% of the guesses and, <laughs> and, they'll, uh, and they'll undo whatever they did last year and, and start more down the correct path. That, that's my guess is what it is. How will you look at the numbers statistic-wise 
and all the data that you're going to bring in, specifically like with relievers and the timing, because relievers take a lot longer than, you know, the rhythm that we see from starters on the mound to pitch. How would you, would you look at numbers differently now with this, uh, the time clock? I don't think so, because what we do in, in our field is normalize everything anyway. So, so that, uh, I mean, we started figuring out how to adjust for the fact that in the 1930s, uh, the average batting average one year was 300. You know, you have to normalize that. It's different in Colorado than it is in, in uh, Seattle, so you have to normalize that. Basically, what we do all the time is normalize everything. So what we will do in our field is just normalize everything. We're getting a ton of questions about injuries. Raul, uh, have you guys entertained this idea that we may see an uptick in injuries from relievers with the 20-second clock coming in and how quickly they have to throw the next pitch and throw the next pitch and you don't get to take your time? What I can tell you wholeheartedly, if, if, if there was any evidence or belief that this would be an injury concern for players, player health and safety comes first and foremost always. So um, if there were any evidence or any thought that that, could be, that would be the case, then we wouldn't be here right now. Hypothetically, let's just say we start to see something like that. Would Major League Baseball become flexible on this concept of what you guys are doing? How, how flexible are you on these specific rules if you see a change here? Yeah. So, so we one of the many benefits of doing testing this in the minor leagues is that you get to track injuries, right? And we get to um, we get to understand with some um, uh, precision what what happened. And pitching injuries were down pretty significantly last year in the minor leagues. Um, at, and whether that's attributable to the timer, who knows, but um, uh, positive nonetheless. I think that uh, as prepared as we are, there is no chance that we got this all 100% correct in, in year one. And you know, we are uh, definitely going to be discussing tweaks to all of this uh, you know, as, as we go. Um, but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're actually moving the other direction on injuries. Fascinating conversation with my 10-year-old son a couple days ago. Morgan and I, I shared this with Morgan and Raul. Uh, so the, the Phillies are moving some of their games up to like 640. And with the pace of these games, he's 10 years old. He's got to go to bed before 930. But every single night in the summertime, we're arguing, hey, you got to go to bed. I want to watch this last inning. And now we're past 930. We're entering 10 o'clock. Uh, specifically, he talked about, and him and I went back and forth, where I was like, these games are going to potentially end, some of these Phillies games at like 9-15. He was beyond ecstatic by, by that. But time spending at the stadium plays a role here. Are, is there a concern that it's going to be less than three hours for the families <laughs> spending time at the stadium, or is that a bonus thing? Have you guys discussed that? Yeah, I, I'll give you my thought. I, I think it's a huge positive. I mean, I, I have young kids, and we have a lot of clubs that are going to move their weekday starts this year to 640. So that's call it 25, 30 minutes of earlier ending time, and then we're taking probably 25 minutes off the game with the timer. Um, you know, you're talking about a full hour earlier now that weekday baseball games are going to end, and it becomes realistic for me to take my six-year-old to Yankee Stadium on a weeknight in the summer, which prior to this year would have been completely impossible. Um, you know, and I think for, the, for those people that want a full three-hour experience, um, 
I think they're they're welcome to show up early and uh, and you know, watch batting practice. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Yes, Seconding what he said, a lot of the Red Sox audience comes from Springfield or or upstate or, or someplace. It, it, that's been a real drag on attendance. Mm -hmm. that it was so hard for people to watch the end of the game and then get home. You know, particularly weeknights, you can't take your kids to a game because you know the game ends at. 11 o'clock and they get to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning, you just can't do it. Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially when we're trying to bring in a younger crowd uh, for the excitement of what we see from these baseball games. Uh, really good question here I think we're going to address for everybody. Um, you know, you guys have attempted to tackle the, the pace of play. What is the next big hurdle for Major League Baseball to overcome from your perspective? I want to go down the line here and get yeah. all three of you guys on that question. I think it's the strikeout rate. I, I think that's the the white whale um, in in baseball that um, and it's a it's a tricky problem. But I think the the game everybody or a lot of people in baseball would agree that the game's better um, when the average hitter is not striking out at Sandy Koufax's career strikeout rate and the ball's in play a little more. So I'd, I would put that as number one. Yeah, well, he stole my answer, but uh, the, uh, <laughs> well, you gave it to him earlier. Too. Yeah, you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. uh, the um, Somehow we have to find some way to get younger kids more into. Uh, when when our, our kids were young, uh, every pediatrician we dealt with would tell us that uh, put your kids into soccer. And the reason they would say that is that the baseball dads were over enthusiastic and often tended to be complete assholes. Never mind. Uh, the, uh, uh, and that's still happening. <laughs> I see it every day. Well, it's a long way away, but that's something we got to got to work on. We got to make sure that the uh, um, the soccer moms are just as offensive as the baseball dad. <laughs> <laughs> Raul, what what do you think is the biggest hurdle right now for Major League Baseball? I, I, I would, in, at the risk of sounding repetitive uh -oh. and redundant, um, I would say that the strikeout rate is really a huge hurdle for us as an industry and as a game. And it's not just, you know, hitter behavior. It's the stuff. You know, guys are throwing 100 miles per hour, high spin. Um, we've gotten really, really good at the R&D part of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, private facilities like Driveline that, that have, um, you know, gotten into pitch shaping and, and really maximizing um, how good pitchers have gotten and, and become. I think uh, that's going to be a, a, a strong challenge for us moving forward. Bill brought up something that, that was really interesting when we talked about, you know, the pitcher's mound, inches in the batter's box, but also like doubles and how hits in different parks. Has Major League Baseball ever talked about, Morgan, the idea of, you know, regulating park dimensions specifically to that point to change the concept of how we hit? We've talked about everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that one in particular is on the less practical end of the spectrum um, because, well, one, it's very expensive to move fences around, and two, um, you know, moving fences in, though it might sort of work against some of our on-field objectives, does generally bring fans closer to the game, create more good seating and, you know, engage people. So it's not, um, that one is, is a little trickier, but for sure, I think, if you were just looking to, get the ball and play more, 
moving the fences back would be a good idea. We're, we got three minutes left. I actually want to end this on a positive note. I want to get Bill's thoughts and then you guys. What's your favorite thing about baseball right now when you watch the game in the modern time? The, uh, you have on some level to enjoy the fact that the skills have gotten so outrageously good. Yeah. Uh, the average fan, I think, can see that the game is, the game really is better than it's ever been in a lot of different ways. And it's, we have these issues and, and people have gotten negative about them, but the game in a lot of ways is, is more fun than it's, ever, than it's ever been to watch. And one reason for it is that the skill levels are, are so outrageously high. It's that you just marvel at what hitters, hitters can do and what pitchers can do. That, to me, that's the answer. Raul, you grew up with the game, you played. Uh, What's your favorite thing right now about the modern game? The game that you now, in your position, not the game that you play, but the game you see now. The athleticism, the strength, the power. It, it, I mean, I'm in awe. You go and watch guys in group four of batting practice that aren't even necessarily playing all the time, and they are able to launch the ball 460 feet to dead center field and, and miss hit homers to the opposite field. I mean, the sheer strength, power, explosiveness of today's player, it's... Um, it's the best in history. If I could second that, one time about 2007, I was, watching, I was standing around the batter's box on a backfield in spring training watching David Ortiz hit, and he hit the ball. There was a, a team bus that was parked 30 feet outside the fence, and there, he was hitting the ball almost to the team bus, and I was so impressed by that. And then uh, the young guy came up, uh, Rizzo, uh, and I'd never heard of him. This young guy steps in behind David. He was hitting the ball over the bus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just shows you the growth. Morgan, your favorite thing yeah. about the modern game right yeah, now? Yeah, I, I would agree with these guys. And I think what, what I'm excited about this season is that you're going to see today's athlete, which is, I think, unequivocally the greatest that's ever played this game, the most powerful, the fastest, the most skilled playing a game that looks a lot more like it did in the 1970s and 80s in terms of the you know, the pace and rhythm. And honestly, it's something none of us have ever seen before. And, and the, the the spring training um, games I've found to be like gripping, that, that, that you know, it changes the way you watch. You're used to looking at your phone between pitches and that can't really happen anymore. Um, and, uh, and anyway, I, th I think it's gonna be a great year for baseball. I'm really excited. Round of applause for these three for a fantastic job. Also, Jackson Spilka, our student lead, who did a great job putting this to get together. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the rest thank of the day. You.